fun. All right. I am starting a new series tonight called Daddy Issues. You with me? Let's go. Daddy Issues. You know, I was, I was actually thinking about this series all summer long. And um, a lot of the reason why I'm thinking about it and wanting to teach this series is because I'm a dad. And I'm trying to figure out how to do this thing. And the crazy thing is about being a parent is that, man, it just brings up all your issues and you just got to deal with all of them. You know, where are the parents at in the room? I know we got some parents at South as well. And uh, man, it just brings up everything to the surface. And there's like this responsibility, like, oh my gosh, I'm responsible for other people's lives. What the heck am I going to do? I also know, I'm so aware of how our relationships with our fathers across the board affect our lives. And they affect how we see ourselves and they affect the impact that, um, well, they affect every choice that we make. And the truth is, is there's not one person here who's had a, a, a relationship with a perfect father on the earth, right? Because none of our dads are perfect. And some of us are walking around with deep wounds and those wounds affect every relationship that we have. And, and it affects how you see yourself and it affects how you see other people and it affects the impact that you have in this world because you've got some stuff that you need to deal with. And so we are gonna talk about it for the next couple weeks. And I know that it might be a little uncomfortable at times, but if you would be brave enough to look inside your soul and let God get into what's going on there, man, I believe that God can do a healing work in your life today. I believe he can do a healing work in your life today and a healing work in your life over the next few weeks. So are you ready? Are you with me? We're gonna do this thing. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter eight in the Passion Paraphrase, we have this promise from God where he says, I will be a true father to you. Okay, God's saying he's my dad. And a lot of us right off the bat are like, I have so much baggage attached to that word, I don't even know how to take that verse. But yet God says, I'll be a true father. I won't be like any father. I'll be a father the way a father was meant to be. And here's the impact of my fatherhood in your life. You will know that you are beloved. That you're a beloved son, a beloved daughter, says the Lord God Almighty. And that's the promise. But, but we have this baggage that we bring to these ideas. And so what's that mean? And how do I figure out who I really am? And how can I be the beloved son, the beloved daughter? What's it mean for God to be a true father? What's it mean? What's it mean for me to be a good dad? What's it mean for me to deal with the stuff that I have living in my soul because of my relationship with my earthly dad? The truth is I've got a good dad, but none of us have a perfect experience growing up. And the wounds from our childhood and the wounds from our family are very long, deep wounds that affect our lives. And if we don't have the bravery to face them and to look at what they are and why they're there, then we will live out of that woundedness. But God has a better way for you. See, you don't have to be defined by where you've come from. You can be defined by a better promise and a better word. You don't have to be defined by your experience as a child. You can be defined by something much better. Not to erase that experience, but for God to take that experience and use it for good and to turn it into something beautiful and turn it into something good. Do you believe that that's possible, church? Amen, amen. All right, so I'm gonna go back to the beginning in uh, Genesis chapter three, in the earliest pages of the Bible. And you know, when we, when we come up on Genesis, we realize God's original intent for our lives and for the world. 
And when God creates the world, everything is perfect. It's perfect. You know, he places us in paradise. Do you know why? Because he's a good God who does good things. And humanity, man and woman, Adam and Eve, they are perfect. And there is no restriction, no difficulty in their interaction with their perfect father. And so they live in this perfect world, and that's really what God intended for us. But God's number one agenda is always the same. His agenda is always relationship. And so God creates humanity for relationship. And because of that, humanity had to have a choice in the matter, right? Like if you have no choice whether or not to be in relationship with someone, that is not relationship. That is abuse. Captivity, right? And so there's choice, and so there's billions of trees, I believe, in the garden, and they are good, and there is good fruit in the garden. But there is one tree, one, out of probably billions, and God says, I don't want you to eat the fruit off of this one tree. And the reason why that's there is because he was giving humanity a choice. You can be in relationship with me, but you don't have to be. All right, so Adam and Eve one day, we're going to pick it up in Genesis 3. You with me? All right, Genesis chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals that the Lord God had made. All right, stop right there. The word serpent here, this was originally written in Hebrew. And that word in Hebrew is a really interesting word because it's very fluid in the original language. Because the exact same word means different things depending on the context. That word is a noun, literally means snake. But that exact same word is a verb means to deceive. And that exact same word as an adjective means shiny. And so you have this interesting word, which is not used by accident. Everything in here is intentional. And so you have this word, and, and it, on the surface, it's the snake, right? The noun version. But there's a deeper meaning here. This is the deceiver, who is coming to say something to you that is not true. But he's also shiny. Anyone watched Moana? (laughs) Shiny. Top 10 movie? Did you say top 10 movie? Top 10 movie of all time right here, Moana. Come on. Who Who has seen Moana? Yes, that is, wow. It's almost everyone in the room. Can you, can you sing a song from Moana? Oh, the vocals aren't warmed up. I understand. Does anyone here want to sing a song from Moana? <laughs> Just stand up right now and start singing it. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Give me some noise for her. Amazing. There were at least five people in South who were ready to sing. I know it. Um, so, so here's the thing. I don't know what, what we're talking about. <laughs> Shiny. <Yeah. laughs> All right, so here's this snake who, when he is active, he is deceiving. But he's shiny. In other words, there's something alluring or something desirable. And this exact word in adjective form is usually used in the scriptures to describe angels. There's something beautiful and attractive and desirable about them. Something that that is astonishing. And this is how the enemy shows up in our lives. 
he's a freaking snake. You know, I was taking a walk through the woods the other day, and it's like a snake is, is you know, they're sneaky. Like, you don't know that they're there until, like, you're right up on them. Right? And that's the enemy. Oh, and he's always deceiving. Oh, and there's something alluring for sure. And so the snake comes up to Eve and is like, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Which, listen to that, it's not really, it's just, it's not really what God said. It's a twist. It's a slight twist. And the woman says back to him, we may eat from the, from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, what's interesting about that is that God never said anything about touching the tree. He only said, don't eat the fruit from the tree, which shows us that Eve is already putting her thoughts on top of God's thoughts and interpreting it. And so the enemy comes in and he says, you're not going to die, which is kind of true. I mean, like the moment that Eve eats the fruit, she doesn't drop over dead, right? But the separation from relationship with God would ultimately lead to death in every way. Because if God is the source of life and you unplug from the source of life, what's gonna happen to you? You're gonna power down, you're gonna die. And so to be disconnected from him means that you die. But it's not just a physical death, it's a death of many layers in many ways over a long period of time. And so he tells this, slight deviation of the truth. And then he goes on and he gives another explanation for what God is doing when he tells them that they can't eat from this one tree. He says, God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Again, just kind of a slight twist on the truth because it is very true that once Eve eats the fruit from the tree, she would know something she was never made to know. She was not supposed to know evil. She was not supposed to experience evil. But the moment she eats the fruit, oh yeah, he's not totally lying. She's gonna know evil. And, and, and the lie is, well, you'll be like God. And in a sense, that's kind of true because she'll be like God in the sense that she now knows what evil is. But that's not what he's implying. He's implying that she'll have the authority that God has. And isn't it interesting that ever since this moment in human history, we have all been working to be like God. In other words, we want the authority that God has. You know, in, in our society over the last few decades, there's been a philosophical shift and we no longer believe in absolute truth. And, and I could explain why and go into more details about that. I have, and I probably will again in the future. But in the absence of a belief in absolute truth, the human like system still craves something to tell us who we are. And if we don't believe that there's a higher power that tells us who we are, if, if there's no higher authority that tells us what is right and what is wrong, well, something has to govern us. And so we've decided collectively as a society that something new is now in charge. I am. I define myself. I define right versus wrong. 
And if you tell me that my particular definition, that my particular authority over myself is somehow wrong, I'm going to send you to hell. Oh, this is a new religion, guys. We don't think of it that way. It is a new religion. Maybe it's called humanism. But it is a religion because it takes a lot of faith because it does not work. But I'm the, I'm in, I define, I say, I am. And this is the temptation. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the woman, she, you know, listens to what the serpent is saying. And she looks at the fruit and she's like, well, I mean, it is shiny. It looks good. I want to I wanna know things. And so she's like, I'm going to eat this thing. And so she does. And the significance of that is that she was choosing to step out of perfect relationship with her father. Choosing to replace God's authority in her life with her own authority. Why? Because she believed the lie. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So Adam is standing right there watching the whole thing go down. So Eve was deceived, but what's Adam doing? Nothing. And you know what the great sin of masculinity is? Passivity. Go ahead. And we learn right from the outset, right from the outset, that men have a temptation to look evil in the eye and shrink back and do nothing. And as a result, evil reigns and evil takes ground. When the, man, the masculine heart was given the ability to intervene and say, not on my watch, but yet we have this propensity to just sit back and let it happen, which is why so much of us men struggle in life. Do you know why? Because we don't rise to the challenges in front of us. Because when there are challenges, we don't step up to it. We back away from it. And you know why we do that? Because we feel safer. Because we have doubts inside of our own soul about whether or not we have what it takes to face the challenge. And it is easier to be passive and sit back rather than to step up and confront and be proven that I don't have what it takes. And so I choose to sit back. It's easier to sit on the couch and watch Netflix rather than engage with what's going on with your wife emotionally. It is easier to sit back on the couch and just stay there and hang out rather than get on the floor and understand what makes your kids tick. It's easier to be passive. It's also inherent within the, the feminine soul. It's all, both of these things are true for man and woman, but there's a particular emphasis here. In the feminine soul, to believe things aren't true, to make up truth and define a reality that isn't in touch with reality, just like the enemy was able to convince her to do. But what happens the second that they eat the fruit? What happens? This is so fascinating. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. Wait, do you understand that the second that the that, that humanity's relationship with the Father was broken, that the first casualty of that was their own understanding of themselves. 
that I don't know who I am. Because if you rewind the verses, the last verse in chapter two, which is the last verse before I started, it points out that both Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. In other words, they had no questions about who they were. They stood there fully exposed and they weren't worried about it for one second. <laughs> they were not ashamed of who they were. They were confident in who they were. But the moment that their relationship with their father was broken, they didn't know who they were anymore. And, and this is why fatherhood imparts identity. The way we understand ourselves is determined by the way that we believe our father sees us. And for those of us who've had a difficult relationship with our father, the deep wound there is a lack of knowledge about who you really are. Lack of understanding about who you really are. And a lot of questions about whether or not you have what it takes to rise to the challenges in front of you. Why? Because the way I understand myself is determined by the way I think my father sees me. Because the next thing that happens after Adam and Eve sin is they get fig leaves and they sew fig leaves to cover themselves up because now they feel ashamed and they've got to cover themselves. And then God comes down to hang out with them. And the implication here is that God hung out with them every single day. In the cool of the day, he'd come out and be like, let's go for a walk together. Because he wanted intimacy, he wanted relationship. And they had it. But on this day, God shows up for their evening stroll and they're not there. And God asks the first question. He says, where are you? And Adam comes out from behind the bush because obviously God can see where he's at. The question wasn't because God was confused. The question was meant to prove to Adam, I still want you in my life. And Adam comes out and says, I was hiding because I felt ashamed. And God says, who told you you were naked? I didn't tell that to you. That's not how I define you. You've believed something wrong about who you are because you've started to listen to a different voice than mine. And isn't that where we are? Who am I? Do I have what it takes? Can I rise to the challenges in front of me? Am I desirable to him? Does he want me? And we have a million questions about all these things. And we don't know. Because we're over here hiding. Trying to make something beautiful out of fig leaves. Interesting how when Jesus was on the earth, one day, randomly, he walks up to a fig tree and curses it so that it will die. Why? Because he didn't want to play with our masks. Because he can't love our masks. And our masks hide us from him. But what's so interesting to me about this, are you still with me? Whew. We're going to go deep. You, you, you willing? You brave? All right. 
Look at Eden. Before sin, before they eat the fruit, what's crazy to me and what I was thinking about when I was getting ready for, for today is that even in their perfect state of being, no sin, no brokenness, no insecurities, no issues, no wrong thinking, even in that state, they still needed a father. And I think that's crazy because, you know, for most of us, when we think about the ideal state of living that we're trying to get to, most of us think that that ideal means I am independent. The ideal state of living is I got it handled. I got it solved. I can handle myself, my business. Look at who I am. I can take care of my life. And we applaud that. All the ladies who are independent, Throw your hands up at me, all the honeys. So there were like two people who were going to sing along with that, but I appreciate you. Got nothing on Destiny's Child 2003. Um, <laughs> we celebrate this independence, right? Like that's the idea. That's where I want to be. I got it handled. How interesting is it that before sin and brokenness enters the world, we were not created to be independent. We were created in our perfect state to be dependent. We needed a father. We needed a provider. Adam and Eve didn't make the plants and the trees that they ate. They didn't have the capacity to. They needed their father to provide for them. They needed a protector. Adam and Eve are out here living their whole life naked in the elements. If you and I live in the elements naked, we die from exposure. They needed a protect. They had a protector. They needed a defender. They needed someone who would fight for them, who would preserve their calling, their destiny, their identity. But they weren't willing for him to fight for them, were they? Which is why they listened to the snake. Do you know what else they needed? And by the way, you're going to hate this one. They needed a king to serve. Life did not make sense. It was not complete without a king to serve. Which is why you'll never find fulfillment in doing your own thing your own way. Until you're serving something greater than yourself, you won't be fully secure or alive. You were made that way in your perfect state. And listen to what else we needed. Someone to tell us who we are. We needed someone to tell us who we were. Wow. We needed all of those things before we ever sinned. And guess what? We still need all of those things today problem is that our earthly fathers have a mantle and a calling from God to impart those things to us. But every single one of us has an imperfect father. And every single one of us have gaps. And every father in the room, you won't be perfect either. But we have these needs. And this is why we have the wounds that we have. But 
the good news, the good news is that the perfect father came down from heaven to take a walk with you in the cool of the day. And he's calling out to you, even in your broken, messed up, sinful state, he's calling out to you, where are you, Marcy? Where are you, Sean? Where are you? Because I want you to know me. And your perfect father, if you let him, put that back up, he will be all of those things to you. But a lot of us don't trust him enough to let him be any of those things to us. Even as Christians, we don't trust him enough to let him be those things to us. Do you know why? Because we know what happens when we trust. And in this earth, not much good comes from trusting. But if I go back to the story of what the deceiver was saying to the woman, think about what he's saying. He is saying, well, I mean, God doesn't want you to eat this fruit because he's trying to keep something from you. He knows you'll be smarter. You'll understand things that he doesn't want you to understand. You'll be like God. What is the serpent really doing? He's trying to convince Adam and Eve that God doesn't really have good motives and intentions for them. And we carry that still to this day. I don't know if I really trust that God's gonna do good with my life. I don't know if I really trust that God has good intentions for my life. If you trusted that God had intentions for you, you wouldn't have any second thought about tithing. You wouldn't have any second thought about not having sex until you're married, which is what he said is best for you. You wouldn't have any thought about any of that stuff because you would know his plan and intention is really good. But you know why we don't do those things? Because we don't really believe that his plan and intention is really good. We have a few doubts. Guys, even as someone who's walked with God for decades now, someone who leads a church, these questions still live in my mind. Especially when life is hard. What are you actually doing, God? And you know, I realized how much I have believed that God is cheering me on when I'm doing everything right. But when everything is really hard around me, I expect God to look at me and say, I don't know, son, you better figure this one out. You're on your own with this. Because when life is hard, I take it as evidence that he's not working for my good. Why do I think that? Because I have trust issues. And I'd be willing to bet that so do you. Because that's the seed that the serpent planted at the beginning of humanity. Can you really trust him? Is he really going to do good with your life? 
And so now all of humanity has a core mistrust in God. And I can't receive what my father has for me because I don't really trust him enough to let him be my father. See, he wants to be a father, but most of us don't want to be fathered. Because in order to let ourselves be fathered, we have to be willing to be vulnerable and trust him. And I have trust issues. Oh, and by the way, I come by my trust issues honestly, and so do you. I mean, how many people have ever trusted someone and then that person went on to let you down? Like 100% of us, right? So we have trust issues, but the problem is I was made to be dependent on him. And I can't depend on him if I don't trust him. But if I don't depend on my father, it leaves a whole mess in my life. Because what happens when my relationship with my father's broken? I don't know who I am anymore. And so if I can't depend on him, then I can't understand myself. And I can't understand the world around me. I don't know who I am. Because I don't know how to trust my father to tell me who I am. And so what is God doing right now in your life? He's saying, come and depend on me. But in order to depend on me, you've got to lay down all of the reasons why you can't trust. And you've got to lay down all the ways that you're trying to be your own God. And you've got to be willing to give up all the ways that you want to define yourself and control yourself and everybody else. So what do we do? David who was like this incredible person who knew God. He writes this song, and we call it Psalm 43. And in this psalm, he kind of goes through this process and this journey that is gonna help us get over our trust issues. Can I give this to you? We got a few minutes left, and then we're gonna bring the worship team up, and we're gonna sing, and God's gonna do some surgery in our hearts. Psalm 43, here's where David starts in the song. He's like, God, clear my name. Plead my case against the unjust charges of these ungodly workers of wickedness. Deliver me from these lying degenerates. It's like, that is dramatic. And, and what is David saying? He's saying, everyone's against me. Life sucks right now. Why is the world hard? And then he says, you are where my strength comes from. And you are my protector, so why are you leaving me? Isn't that the question we all ask? That's our trust issues right there. Life is hard, so why did you bail on me, God? And see, if we don't know how to trust our Father, and if we don't know how to be dependent on our Father, every time that life is hard, we will interpret it as God being cold towards us. So this is where David's at. Why are you leaving me? Why are you bailing on me? Why are you letting me be covered with gloom? Why are you letting my enemies rip me up? But then David asks another question. And this is the question that we need to learn how to ask. Then David says, show me the truth, 
Pour into me the brightness of your daybreak. Pour into me the rays of, listen, your revelation truth. In other words, show me what's real. Because right now I feel like you're rejecting me. I feel like I can't trust you. I feel like I can't depend on you. And I feel that way because life is hard. And also I'm pre-wired to have trust issues. So where are you? And then he says, okay, so show me what the truth is. And even that question takes some vulnerability because that question implies that I've already admitted to myself that I don't know the truth. Oh, but in order to come to that conclusion, I've got to accept the fact that I'm not my God. Show me your truth. And then, I love this, and let your truth lead me onto the right path into your presence. In other words, David's like, I need to be near you again. I need to hear your voice. I need to be close to you. I need to understand who you are again. Would you pull me? Can I go on that walk? Because I'm hiding behind the bush. And I'm kind of mad at you for how things are going right now. So can we have a walk? I'll take the fig leaves off. Can we have a walk? And then he says, and then I will come close to your very altar. Until I come before you, the God of my ecstatic joy. I will praise you with the harp that plays in my heart to you. Oh God, my magnificent God. So he's saying, everything is hard. Why are you not being faithful to me? Why are you rejecting me? And then he says, show me the truth. And then he says, take me into your presence so I can remind my soul who you are. Because I know when I get there, I'll remember that you're magnificent. I'll remember that you are joy. I'll remember that you're worthy of my dependence. You're worthy of my dependence. You're worthy of my trust. Oh, but what's the one thing he mentions? Because in your presence, there's an altar. What is an altar? It's a place where you bring something in order to let it die. Do you know what we bring to our altars? All of the reasons that we can't trust. We put it on the altar. And we let it die there. And then I remember you are magnificent. And then I will say to my soul, why are you messed up? Why are you freaking out? Why are you discouraged? Don't freak out because I fully expect my Savior God to break through for me. That is the opposite of mistrust. That is an explanation of his dependence. I expect God to come through for me. Oh, it doesn't mean that my circumstances have gotten any better. It just means that my trust issues have gone away. And now even though my circumstances are still kind of ugly, I know that my father will see me through because I know who he is. And he's not a God who bails on me. He's not a God who gives up on me. He's not a God who walks out on me when things get hard. He's not a God who is selfish towards me. He's not a God who wants something from me and leaves when I can't give it to him. He is not that God. He is a true father. 
He is a protector, a provider, a warrior advocate. He is the one who shows you who you are. I fully expect my God to come through for me. And then I'll have plenty of reasons to praise him all over again. And then this last line, and I love this line. Yes, living before his face is my saving grace. Worship team, you can come on up. That means living in unrestricted intimacy with you is the thing that saves me. That word salvation implies in the New Testament, I've been made whole. In other words, when I'm in your presence, when I'm close to you, when I'm listening to your voice, when I'm near you, you take me back to Eden where there's no barrier, no restriction between the two of us. And now in that place, I know who I am because I know what my father said about me. So church, we've got to come to the altar tonight. If you let God, he will peel back the layers of distrust and he will show you who he really is. So how's God feel about you? How's your father feel about you? Is he disappointed in you tonight? Is he mad at you? Is he giving up on you? Is he bailing on you? Is he criticizing you? Is he making you smaller? How's your father feel about you tonight? This is what he says about you. Oh, Tyra. Oh, Sean. Oh, Erica. Oh, Q. My dear, dear son. My dear, dear daughter. You are my child in whom I take pleasure. Every time I mention your name, Tyra, my heart bursts with longing for you. Everything in me cries out for you, Erica. Softly and tenderly, I'm waiting for you, Marcy. I delight in you, Val. I delight in you, Tracy. I, I long for you, Rachel. I want you. You're hiding behind a bush. Let's get rid of those fig leaves. Church. He's not like an earthly father. You can depend on him. You can trust him. He is 